0: After a superstar defense secured an acquittal and his prior conviction sat awaiting appeal, things seemed to be looking up for the fallen Patriot star. But less than a week after the jury returned the good news, a prison guard would make a devastating discovery. What could have caused this irreversible decision? Was it drugs? Depression? Long-term brain damage? And did his death mean he had finally cleared his name? This week's episode is Aaron Hernandez, Part 4. Well, it's
1: the last one. The Yeah, the end of our era. Or Hernandez era. End of era. our area. F, uh, four has always been my lucky number. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah. Do you have a lucky number?
0: Um, No, not really. I mean, what do you mean by lucky number?
1: Like if you pick it always? I guess maybe instead of lucky, I'll say favorite. Oh, favorite. I like 28. That's 28? my birthday. Okay. Yeah. Well, four is my birthday. Oh, okay. But I... Apart from that, it's always kind of been lucky for me. Very I don't cool. know why. Yeah, I'm drawn to the number four. So well, think about it, we're not doing a
0: 28 parter, so I'm glad we're <laughs>
1: Jesus Christ. We, 28 we, days
0: later, I think it's right. One, I think. our
1: entire menstrual cycle. You're, <laughs> you'll be here for it, <laughs> start to finish. Uh,
0: there are entire podcasts dedicated to this, though. So,
1: to Aaron Hernandez. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, the Globe? Gladiator. The yeah. Boston Globe has a has a great one out, and there's probably more. To be, to to come, more to come. We never know. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And if you haven't listened to one through three. What are you doing here? <laughs> Spoiler we're, alert. We're always so baffled when we do multi-parters because without fail, Every the time. second or third or whatever episode has more downloads than the first one. Sometimes twice as many. Yeah, it's wild. So I'm always like... Are people listening to it
0: that have already listened to it like double? Like, oh, I need to hear. I'm not sure what happened. I need to
1: re-listen. Yeah. Or do some people just say, "I'm good." <laughs> Cut to the chase. Do Do you read half a book? Do you start in the just middle of the bo- book? Isn't that when, yeah, when when Harry on Harry Met Sally? You always reads the re- last. I was thinking about that the other day. I read the last
0: page in case you die before you finish. I love that movie. I love it so much. It's really you got very emphatic, so like much. defensive almost, that's as if movie? someone has challenged you before. Oh well, that's a movie. There's probably five movies in my life that if someone says that's a stupid movie, I think. Well, I know what kind of person you are, mm. and I don't the type of person I don't need to be around.
1: Do you know what the other four
0: movies are? When Harry Met Sally. Okay. The Big Lebowski. Well, sure. The Blues Brothers. Yep. Ghostbusters. One? Yes. Okay. Also two. They're both good, mm-hmm. but particularly Ghostbusters one and the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. All good. Yeah. I think if someone said, also, my brain is like a person that was an adult in the 1970s and early 80s. <laughs> I think that's what the age of my soul.
1: But were those movies all? No. Well, Big Lebowski was
0: 90s. Yeah, correct. But and when Harry Mentali's is like late 80s, but the Blues Brothers was the early 80s. Ghostbusters, mid 80s. Uh Willy Wonka, late 70s. Was that late 70s? Early 80s, yeah. Such a good movie. It's amazing. Oh, Gene gosh. Wilder. Gene is Wilder is... A goddamn champion. Well, is he still with us? <laughs> no, he passed only only a few years ago, a yeah. handful of years ago. That's right. I do remember being... He had a
1: struggle sad, with dementia, I believe, in his yeah, final years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what a comedic genius. Such a good actor. So good. And all
0: around, by all accounts, a nice person. Oh, he seems uh, like he would be. The love of him and Gilderradon where it's like the yes. love of his life. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Blazing Saddles. So good. I love Mel Brooks as well. Yeah, Mel Brooks is great too. Well, well let's talk
0: about happy things because immediately at yeah, the beginning of this we're going to have to We're
1: going to have to segue into not so happy things. Yeah, this is
0: you know, it's one of those where even if someone commits horrible
1: acts, you don't wish this upon your worst enemy. I remember when this happened when it's, it's we all i think everyone knows he takes his own life i remember when it happened a few years ago and people were just trashing him on twitter and everything like uh he's a murderer why does anybody care he killed himself Blah. blah, blah. and i didn't know a ton about the case but i do remember saying he was still somebody's brother and son and father and everything so like to make light of anyone taking their own life just the amount of pain someone had to yeah. have been in to do that yeah yes again he did horrible things he's not a good person i don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive though yeah it's still somebody's dad and we'll see that what his brain was reduced to correct it's a great way to put it answers a ton of questions about his actions and then him deciding to take his own life and everything. So when you kind of look at it through that lens, it's to me paints a different picture. I think and so. and makes me feel a different way about this than I might if none of that was in play.
0: You have someone who is fully functional, cogent and says, on purpose, I'm going to do these things versus mm-hmm. I think he did say on purpose, I'm going to do these things, but I do not know that he was fully functional or cogent. Yeah,
1: it's it's with any mental health problem. Correct.
0: Yeah. Well, and the question then is like, does that uh, uh, escape? Do you right. escape culpability for and your that's actions? Something that so. we will get into. Well,
1: I think did we introduce ourselves? Yeah, briefly. But let's do it again. OK, I'm Christy. <laughs> I'm Heather. Um uh, let's get into it. Three nights after Aaron Hernandez was acquitted for the murder of Daniel de Abreu and Spiro Furtado, he and another inmate disregarded prison rules and smoked K2 in his cell. K2 is used by some as an alternative to marijuana. However, unlike marijuana, K2 is a synthetic man-made chemical and has been linked to bouts of rage, hallucinations, and harmful thoughts, according to AmericanAddictionCenters.org. That same day, Host on the Boston sports radio station WEEI made tasteless and offensive jokes pertaining to Aaron's sexuality, ostensibly outing him. Have you listened to this audio? It is very. Please explain it. I haven't listened to it. You you don't have to quote it. On the Netflix documentary. Oh, it is on there. Yeah. It is on there. They, um but for those who haven't watched, the it's well. So they these the host of on this W E E I have a, re, a female reporter on a journalist as their guest, and they're talking about Hernandez, and she's basically saying, "I have information that he is gay," and they're just making jokes like, "So you're telling me he's always uh, been a tight end, and he's oh. like just very like those just, homophobic innuendo." Yes, okay. yeah, and just um tasteless and sensitive low-hanging fruit jokes about and there were several that one wasn't even as bad as a couple of the other ones they made but she pretty much outed him and yes. it was all just word of mouth that she had she had some inside information or something that from uh i don't remember if it was somebody that set, claimed he was in a relationship with him or a former teammate or something regardless that's not her story to tell
0: yeah it's sad that we live in a society where there's still a subset and unfortunately, maybe a majority of people for whom finding out that a celebrity or someone is gay mm-hmm. is lascivious and interesting information yeah. versus that's nice. I hope you find love. Good for you. And on the the other hand, too, your sexuality is something that, A, you don't even understand sometimes until you're much older in life or sure. maybe you've known it all along, but you don't want to tell anybody. And that's your own private thing. So. Uh, I think it's not a shocking opinion for me to say this is a shitty thing for these people to do. No,
1: I think it's very shitty. And speaking of we live in a society where it's shocking to find out people are gay. I'll be on Google and get like on a article rabbit hole of like click on this and click on this. And then it's like 20 celebrities you never knew were gay. I'm like. Why
0: does anyone care? Yeah, that's nice.
1: Why is this? Yeah, it's just this clickbait of someone's
0: sexuality. Yeah. And it's well, it becomes, you know, people are nosy. I guess you're nosy about celebrities. But in this case with him, it's because he's, I guess, a professional football player and it's rare. I mean, now there's been a few more that have, you know, either like quit or retired and then come out afterwards. But maybe that's why they were maybe trying to say. It was news, but it's still something that they're not saying it in a respectful way. Like, right. We have news that he may be gay, and this could be a you know a turning point for the NFL and acceptance in sports. They're like, oh, here's a joke. He's yeah. gay. It's like, quit your yeah. job. Turn it's,
1: your microphone off and go home. It's they should all. Yeah. It's they should. I don't know about if there were any repercussions for what they did, but the very least they're shitty people for there doing you go. that. On April 19th, 2017, two nights after smoking K2, Aaron Hernandez was escorted by guards back to his 7x10 cell for the night. In it, there was a small window covered with bars, allowing him a narrowed glimpse at the sky. Aaron picked up his Bible and turned to John 3.16. He smudged a bit of blood on the passage and then wrote the scripture on his own forehead in blood as well. Officer Gerard Brow was on duty that night and according to prison records, made his rounds at 11.01 p.m., 12.01 a.m., and one hundred two a.m. While guards are required to physically lay eyes on each inmate during their rounds to ensure everything is okay, the prison's video surveillance later showed that Brow never paused to look in Aaron's cell or even shine his flashlight in it, according to The Globe. It would also later be discovered that Brow skipped his scheduled 2 a.m. rounds, later telling investigators that he had been lacking sleep and was, in a fog. Also reported by the Globe. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you're working the overnight shift and you have to stand up and walk around once an hour, every hour, that's
1: physically t- taxing and exhausting. I think this is a thing we see in prisons a lot. I mean, it was the same excuse that guards gave with Epstein, that mm-hmm. they were overworked and, every you know, guards. I'm tired. And- yeah, they're too tired to do all of these things. It seems like a real problem that results in... This window of opportunity for these inmates to do do something drastic
0: when you're working an overnight shift, probably 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or something like that around. I've done the sleep deprived show at Dallas Comedy House where we stayed up for 40, uh, 40, 46 hours or whatever. And really, truly around 3 and 4 a.m. is when it really starts to get you're almost you like basically could almost like hallucinate, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not quite hallucinating. but like he said, a fog is a perfect way to put it, where your body is moving, and it's the the somebody's behind the wheel, but they're not
1: they don't know what they're doing, it's very unhealthy, it's dangerous, it's when you're when people's lives are literally depending on you being present. I don't know what the answers are, but there's obviously problems that go far beyond just this case.
0: And whether he was sleeping or not, you may, you know, they may say, fuck it, it's 3 a.m. Everybody's probably sleeping and it's
1: the or 2 a.m. or whatever. And you're like, that's the one time. Of course, the one time you don't check. Yep. Jose Baez provides a timeline of Aaron's last night on Earth in his book, Unnecessary Roughness. According to Baez, when Brow approached Aaron Hernandez's cell around 3 a.m., cell 57, He noticed something unusual. Something was blocking the window, perhaps a sheet or curtain, that made it impossible for the officer to see inside. By the way, Jose Baez has, it's like second by second by
0: second description of how this all went down. And he even talks about that some of the inmates would, for fun... Not fun, I guess, but to mess with the guards because they kind of had a playful relationship Mm -hmm. in some instances would block the the curtain. So that brow initially thought, "Okay, all right, silly guy. It's three in the morning. Why are you blocking it?
1: How does he have a second by second? Where did he? Is it from the prison surveillance? Is it from eyewitness accounts? When
0: he when Aaron died they basically they told the prison freeze you're not allowed to delete any videos any records any documents and they did a full investigation because initially Baez was like and Shiana was like he was not suicidal he did not kill himself and Baez said the same thing Baez is like the last time I talked to him he was like hell yeah man you got me off it was like less than a week Mm -hmm. and he was like the appeal is gonna go well we can actually get you out of here like there's a chance you know he was super optimistic when they talked on the phone so Baez initially said oh hell no there's no way that. He killed himself Freeze everything They sat there And interviewed There's maybe like Five or six people That go in and try To save his life He interviewed Every single one of them So he has Every possible Little detail Because they were Thinking that Either it was a murder mm-hmm. Or that they were Going to sue the prison For some kind of negligence Maybe they weren't Paying attention How did he get a hold Of these drugs Kind of stuff
1: Well I mean
0: it's not something To be said for that I mean you know Somebody should have Been watching him Yeah but to be fair, he didn't have any other outward signs of suicide. It's not like he would attempted right. it before, so he wasn't on any kind of watch.
1: He was on watch when he first went in, but mm-hmm. that was very that's they do that for all high mm-hmm. profile celebrities. So it it wasn't unusual for him to. But yeah, he wasn't. He was seemed by all accounts happy, and there were he hadn't exhibited any signs that that was even on his mind. Well, after his knocks went unanswered, Officer Brow pulled the sheet away from the window to see inside. He then discovered Aaron was hanging from a bedsheet tied to the bars of his cell window. He was fully nude and appeared lifeless. According to Baez, Officer Brow called in on his radio. Code 99. Repeat. Code 99. Inmate hanging. G2. Cell 57. Repeat. Code 99. It's Aaron. According to Baez, Officer Brow was unable to enter the cell until backup arrived due to prison protocol. However, the Globe states Brow had left his keys in another room another violation of his job description, in addition to skipping his prior rounds. It was sometime during that missed check, between 2 and 3 a.m., that Aaron Hernandez had taken his own life. Three additional officers arrived and allowed Officer Brow to enter. However, when he attempted to push open the now-unlocked door, it wouldn't budge. The men pressed against the door, finally managing to shove it open. That's when they noticed that Aaron had jammed the door with paper and cardboard— Aaron had also covered the cell's floor in shampoo, another apparent attempt to prevent anyone from getting to him and saving his life. Despite the slippery floor, the officers rushed to his side. While some began the work of freeing his lifeless body, one officer placed restraints on Aaron's wrist just in case he was faking the ordeal.
0: And that's what Bias's book describes, and that's also protocol, that if they're unconscious to... Cuff them in case they wake up and it flip makes out. Sense. Yeah. Uh, but they said that he was so massive that even yeah. one of the other officers is like a power lifter and they were trying to lift him up. They're basically just doing everything they could to alleviate pressure on his neck, but the mm-hmm. cell window was so high up that it was difficult to lift him high enough to get the pressure off of him. Yeah.
1: I think he weighed around 220. He was like 6'2", three. Like Six solid muscle. Yeah. I mean, and that's literal dead weight yes that they're trying to lift up it took like four or five of them to, and to get the door to open too
0: it took like three of them to get the door open too that's how bad the door was and jammed. also the
1: premeditation that this took i mean so he sad. was really prevent he wanted no one to be able to save his mm-hmm. life the measures he took to stop someone from getting to him in time that is very sad another officer tried cutting the sheet off of his neck but aaron had wound it too tight and knotted it in too many places for it to come off easily After two minutes, the team of people who had filled his cell managed to get him down. Though nurses and other medical personnel on the scene attempted to perform CPR and other life-saving measures, at some point, they knew that it was too late. According to Baez's book, Aaron had defecated himself, and the cold touch of his skin, plus its bluish hue, Told the medical professionals he had already passed. To their
0: credit, they tried and tried and tried. They tried in the cell. They got a gurney. There was an issue with the gurney. I think it was an issue of getting it onto the ambulance and stuff. But the medical personnel was were on top of him, continuing, continuing, continuing life saving treatment. And I mean, it's one of those where you're trying, but you know, I mean, you, you know. know that that. But they weren't it's doctors like- to to call COD yeah. so they, or TOD. So they were like just trying it as, as best they could.
1: Yeah. At four o seven a m. On April nineteenth, two thousand seventeen, just five days after his acquittal for the murders of Safira Furtado and Daniel de Abreu, Aaron Hernandez was pronounced dead at a nearby hospital. He was twenty-seven years old. You realize how much of a life he had? Yeah, uh, all the not not like he. I mean, I guess it was a good.
0: Life. He played in a Super Bowl. He was lived his dream. He had his dream job. He married or was engaged to the love of his life. They had a kid together. He committed heinous crimes. He ends up in jail. He goes to another trial. And it's only 27. Yeah.
1: And all the abuse and trauma he suffered Before as that, a child. Was she really the love of his life or was he pretending because he couldn't come to terms with what he actually wanted to to be? So it is a lot for a hundred year life. But to shove all that into 27 years, yeah. Yeah. When you put it into perspective like that, it's wild. Although Aaron had been convicted of the murder of Odin Lloyd, his new attorney, Jose Baez, had begun working on the appeal for that conviction. The case was waiting to be heard by the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts. Five days before his death, Aaron had also been acquitted of the 2012 Boston murders of De Abreu and Furtado. With things seemingly looking up for him, Many were left wondering why Aaron would have taken his own life. Especially given the letters that he wrote, because they were his, the suicide notes
0: weren't super, they were more like letters.
1: The one to his daughter was very, it's like final, very mystical mm-hmm. and spiritual, very, no one ever dies. I'll see you in heaven. I'm always with you. But it was. It seemed very like a. Fine. It seemed like a suicide. His net, note yes.
0: to Jose Baez is kind of upbeat. It's like if you could get a hold of some musical artists, I'm going to list them here. They really helped my funeral. No, they've really helped me out. I want you to tell them what a great job they did. Oh, well,
1: that's yeah. Again, I mean, I think that the CTE we'll see is a, there's a major disconnect Bizarre, yeah. and just it's impulsivity and not rational thinking. Five days after his death, Aaron's team of lawyers submitted a petition to have the conviction for the murder of Odin Lloyd vacated. When he took his own life while his case was pending, Aaron was entitled to have the prior conviction vacated, according to a centuries-old Massachusetts common law called abatement ab initio. This is kind of a weird thing. Abatement ab initio is not in every state. It's
0: federal, strangely enough. And uh, what's the guy's name from Enron? Lay Kenneth Lay, Mm -hmm. he had a heart attack while his Enron conviction was pending, and since it's federal, he was his lawyers were able to file for abatement ab initio, which basically just says you were convicted, there was an appeal, but you didn't get to see the appeal through. Who knows if it would have been overturned or kept? So we're just going to pretend that the conviction never happened. It's a Texas have this? No, it is a dumb thing that has
1: (laughs) that has no place in the current system. Yeah, that's wild. Abatement ab initio is Latin for from the beginning and is applied in cases where an accused is no longer around to defend themselves from being accused of a crime. If the accused dies while their criminal case is on appeal, the conviction is vacated. Although the judge expressed dissatisfaction with the law, she followed it as she was bound to do. And on May 9th, 2017, she vacated Aaron's sentence. Which
0: the judge said at the time, I think that this is wrong and stupid and bad and I hate this. But Massachusetts law says I have to do it. So I'm going to do it under protest. And I highly recommend if you're the the state, you should absolutely appeal this because I think it sucks.
1: It does. And I can't even understand how it would have come to be.
0: Well, the... It's, it literally is. I think when they, I read, um, like a legal, uh, like a law review article kind of about the su- subject. And it's, I mean, it's from like hundreds of years ago. I mean, it's super old. And I think the, the thing was like, clear the name of the dead man. Like, oh, he yeah. can, he's not around to defend himself anymore. So we shouldn't besmirch his that name in death. That
1: he didn't do shitty things and well, the family of the people that he did shitty things to. That's their closure.
0: And I think the flip side is, well, if you want to clear your name, you should stuck around to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess if you have a heart attack in jail, that's out of your control. Yeah. But yeah. Why should we be punished? Aaron had left notes for several family members, including one to his daughter and fiance. In his note to Shiana, he included the phrase, you're rich. Some have speculated that this is a reference to the NFL money to which she would be entitled if Aaron's conviction was vacated. Unfortunately for Aaron, if that was his motivation, then his suicide was in vain. First, his contract with the Patriots did not entitle him to the entire $40 million. NFL contracts are contingent on a player actually playing, meaning Aaron would have collected that money over the five years of the agreement. The $12 million he received up front was also parsed out in chunks. The guaranteed amount is guaranteed for so long as a player plays for a team. Sometimes if it's a reliable player, they'll write him a check for $12 million
0: or whatever their signing bonus is day one. But Aaron was a liability yeah. from all of his doing drugs and hanging out with nefarious people. Yeah, in a bad reputation. So they said, OK, well, we'll give you $250,000 for every practice you come to. And if you come to an extra workout, we'll give you $300,000. So it was basically, the, it was carrots and sticks yeah. to get him to keep showing up. And like I said, if your contract says you get $12 million on day one, you get that. But his was, you get the following amounts for the following things. And he didn't
1: uh, satisfy that. So then the Patriots didn't have an obligation to pay. I read that he heard about the abatement in prison you did, from another yeah. inmate. And so... One has to wonder, like, you just hear these tidbits of information. You He doesn't really know the law or how it works out. It's not like he discussed this with Baez or anything. He just hears, hey, if you die while you're in jail, your fiance and kid are going to get all the money that you that was coming to you. And he... Who does he know to believe? First yeah. of all,
0: run it by Jose Baez. He's a real good lawyer. He also, could tell you.
1: Yeah, but and also he has brain damage. Yeah. So he's just thinking, oh, I'm going to... Don't take be sad. Oh, I'm gonna take care of my my family. I I I can't do anything from behind bars. But you're can't rich work. now.
0: Yeah. The one thing about the law is that the law can always change, which I always tell mm-hmm. my law students: you don't want to have your name at the top of the case book where it says Wallace versus State or McKinney. You know, Wallace versus McKinney. You don't want to be the one that ends up being like.
1: <laughs> first of all, I never want to have no a, ever a, a <laughs> so trial words Wallace, Wallace versus and
0: McKinney M- versus the state. Yeah, now
1: that I will Hell be a yeah. part of. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, I'm always like you, even just because something hadn't happened yet. Doesn't I'm like you? Don't ever want to be the first person to which this happens. Yeah, for sure.
1: So. That's what, unfortunately. Well, the decision to release a player from a team is up to the owners of the team and can be argued before the league. Unfortunately for Aaron, even in the wake of his initial conviction being overturned, the conduct and behavior he displayed, including the multiple weapons charges, were likely sufficient to have him removed from the team under the NFL's personal conduct policy. The policy reads. Even if
0: the conduct does not result in a criminal conviction, players found to have engaged in any of the following conduct will be subject to discipline, illegal possession of a gun and illegal possession or use of drugs.
1: Aaron had clearly violated those policies. So even with his conviction vacated, Shyana and Aviel were unfortunately not entitled to the remainder of his money. That's the other thing is that of all the players unions in all of organized professional sports,
0: the NFL players collective bargaining agreement cba you'll hear that in the news like and right now they're they're uh, negotiating a new cba it's the most team owner friendly cba in all of professional sports first of all if you play for a baseball team and they give you 50 million dollars over five years they give you 50 million dollars on day one they don't say we'll give you this percentage a year for the next five years what if you get
1: traded they and that's pay, do they, have to they pay it buy out? out
0: the they'll buy out the contract like the new team would pay the old team the amount or whatever. Man, I should have been a baseball player. Dude, I know, I, I fucked up.
1: <laughs> yeah, what was
0: I thinking? <laughs> There's a couple of jobs that I hear. I'm like, I should have done that. Um, <laughs> but but like the NFL for multiple reasons, one of which I think is people are severely injured in yep. the NFL. You don't want to give them forty million dollars and then they break their leg and they can't play anymore. Yeah. Um, but also the NFL's CBA, this player conduct policy. First of all, it's not very. Evenly met it out justice wise, there'll be literally an instance of a player beating his spouse on camera and the the owners will be like, we just don't think this rises to the level of it's so it's like in the sole discretion of the owners. And so they're trying to re, you know, renegotiate the CBA or whatever. But yeah, under the current like the then current rules that he was playing under. Like Robert Kraft said, even if you're an accessory, we think, or you're accused of being an accessory, we're going to kick you off the team because we can. Yeah, Man, I watched, I went down a rabbit hole on sports. I'm telling you that 30 for 30 broke where it talks about all the the massive amounts of money that the NFL teams play net out the cost. They're still netting like hundreds of billions oh, of yeah. dollars.
1: It's insane it's, amounts of money. It's in, the amount of money the NFL makes it's a machine. is staggering. It's a machine and it's staggering to i told tommy last night and i i like football i like watching football but i said last night i was like it's hard it will be hard for me to continue watching this sport knowing what i know now and i've read eye opening and i've read so many things from people that have written a ton of articles it's like it's a blood sport and americans decide they're their moral and ethical guidelines for entertainment. I will watch this knowing this, but I'll do it because the entertainment value I receive from it is more than the the icky feeling I get when I think about like what actually could be happening. Now when I see these guys take these hits and I was like looking at pictures of that um The New York Times article, the interactive Mm -hmm. one. It's so fascinating. Fascinating. And we'll link it in our show notes. It has, I believe, over 200 brains brains that have been uh, dissected and and analyzed and everything after the the football players died. And they light up on the screen depending on what position they played. And even people like kickers and punters and quarterbacks – can be severe. It's not just the linemen. Mm-mm. It's anyone. It is a lot of the linemen. It's a lot but of. It's the the not linemen. just them. But it's not just them. It's any, our brains are not meant to do that. Mm-mm. And so when you see these guys getting sacked or ta- or they get hit so hard their helmets pop off and they still make contact, just think about go go look at this New York Times article. And then when you look at that, think of all the the brown spotted damage on those brains. From, from those repeated hits. Yeah, that article
0: is eye-opening. Very. It's fascinating. Oh, I'll, I'll save my, I have an NFL question slash
1: moral quandary, but I'll save it for our CT okay. segment. In an interview with the Boston Globe, Dr. Kevin Hill, chief of addiction psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, said that K2 can stay in a user's blood for up to 72 hours. He went on to say that the drug can have psychotic effects that include religious
0: preoccupations.
1: And impulsivity.
0: They may ultimately do things that are out of character for them, things that people they're close to would never expect.
1: While Aaron's toxicology report said his blood was
0: negative for all substances tested, including synthetic cannabinoids.
1: K2 can be tricky to detect and oftentimes doesn't show up in screenings. Is it possible that the harmful side effects often attributed to this drug played a part in Aaron taking his own life?
0: I remember when this was a big deal in Texas that mm-hmm. the places started selling K2.
1: yeah. It's bad. I've never done it. And I have never had any desire to I don't I'm not anything synthetic and just chemical based has never been something I've been interested in. But yeah, there are videos you can watch of people smoking this and then just doing like crazy ass things because they hallucinate and stuff. Yikes! And it doesn't
0: really say they call it synthetic marijuana. But it sounds like it's LSD.
1: It's I would imagine it's closer to LSD, but also you can just buy it, it legally.
0: That's wild. So
1: it's teenagers and everything abuse, stuff like that. It's well, like, you think
0: it's legal. I might as well, it must be safe.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Which is not always the case. Even though on
1: the packaging it says... <laughs> well, fuck your shit up. Not for human consumption. What? <laughs> Who is supposed to consume it? Exactly. they like, use it to fuel lawnmowers. <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> It's all. It's just a loophole so they can get around selling not it and everything. Not for human consumption? But people that buy it Just totally disregard it because they know they're going to be using it for human consumption, but it's just a loophole so they can cover their ass. Wow! And if you – I mean, Aaron had a huge weed – I don't know if I want to say addiction, but habit. He did. It was a habit, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't think you can get addicted to weed. Personally.
0: No, I think so. you can. They, you can't. You can't get chemically addicted to it. But right. they said that you can get habitually dependent
1: on I it. I think he was habitually dependent. Like somebody
0: that chews. Uh, you know, you chew a lot of toothpicks or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or use chapstick. Uh, <laughs> like every five seconds. <laughs>
0: if you don't know, you guys, Christy is obsessed with chapstick, and she will. If you can't, if she can't find it, she'll like. You know when you slap a table, like where is it? Where are my keys? She's <laughs> like, where's my chapstick?
1: It's it is a problem. I've we've had to postpone recording on several occasions because <laughs> I find can't it. find my chopstick. Yes, at any live show, I have my chopstick, and it's not just any. I is Burt's Bees. So it Burt's be Bees, Burt's if you're Bees. listening, I would love a sponsorship because I would save thousands of dollars. <laughs> That's what I bought. Part of your Christmas yes. present was just a fistful of Burt's Bees. If you can guess how many Burt's Bees I got this Christmas. I will Venmo you five dollars right now. Uh, I got you five. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna guess Tommy got you five, or maybe
0: and maybe your family. Your mom gives you a stocking. Mm-hmm. Twenty two.
1: Oh my god, you guessed it! No, <laughs> d- holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's That's crazy. <laughs> I just yelled so, I apologize. I Tommy will so fix it. Loud. Tommy can fix it in post. You got 22. I'm more more shocked than that is that you just guessed that.
0: Well, I figure I got you five. Tommy got you five. Maybe Santa brought you five. Your brothers came in town. They probably got you some. But it wouldn't be an even amount because somebody probably got you two or three. That's crazy. That's funny. If I
1: I got to give them, I'll, I'll Venmo you, you don't five dollars. V- Venmo five
0: dollars to the charity of our choice. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'll 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 we'll see if
0: there's like a bee foundation. Yeah.
1: oh they're pro- they're save
0: the bees. They're endangered, so we'll save the bees. That are. is crazy. Uh <laughs> but I think back to the marijuana habit. I think mm. he was so used to like I said, he wasn't chemically addicted to marijuana, but he was habitually yeah. enjoyed that feeling and he told you know his brother, I bench pressed two hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. I could do anything if I was high. I think he was chasing that. And if that's something you could get in jail, then he's gonna get the next best thing if you can't
1: get marijuana. Yeah, and the guards turned an eye to all of this they let a lot of stuff slide with him in fact the night that this happened in the boston globe article he his his cell door opened so he could go quote work out and he left his cell to work out but while his door was open another inmate slipped in and hid under his bed And then he just immediately walked down the hall and walked right back into his cell. And then the cell closed and the guards dimmed the lights. Oh. So the cameras couldn't pick stuff up over there. So they were making love? The inmate that was in there has said it was strictly they were just talking and smoking K2 and it was not that kind of. Tryst. It was not a tryst. Yes. But uh, he actually said they were talking uh, God and death. Oh, okay. So if you're already talking about that kind of stuff and you start smoking this drug that's known for making you hallucinate, possibly having harmful thoughts, paranoia, rage and everything... It's a slippery slope. It's going to start planting ideas. Yeah, yeah. If or, you didn't already have those ideas.
0: Well, and two, the in Jose Baez's book, he said that Officer Brow was a lifelong Patriots fan, and that most of the guards were, and they all knew that that was Aaron cell, and despite his murders, were it's
1: still a celebrity. It's still sure. one of your ballplayers that you yeah. like. So
0: yeah, I'm there's sure he probably got some
1: special special treatment. Aaron Hernandez was clearly struggling with a myriad of issues that could have led to his fateful decision that evening. He was serving a life sentence for murder, his abuse of childhood, his alleged shame regarding his sexual identity. However, one of the biggest factors at play may have been something that was discovered post-mortem. Amidst their grief of losing both a son and a fiancé, Terry Hernandez and Cheyenne Jenkins made the mutual decision to have Aaron's brain donated to Boston University to be studied by Dr. Ann McKee, Arguably the most qualified medical professional in the area of CTE and football player research. This lady is a badass. Dude, she Love is her. a hero.
0: League of Denial, the PBS Frontline. We will link it in here. It's all it's about her basically journey of discovering this as a hardcore old school football fan. She's been a football fan her whole life. Everyone in her family's played and then reconciling her studies and the discoveries she's made with the sport that she loves. It's really fascinating. Man, and
1: if all your family's played, you've got to start wondering... Yeah, looking for signs of stuff and i'm telling you they ask her outright should children not play football and she said there
0: hasn't been enough study i can't tell you scientifically with the research available that it's harmful to kids they said if it was your kid would you let them play and she was like no hell no hell no she's like it's very dangerous yeah. for your brain she's like Tackle i can't football. she's like i can't tell you that scientifically because i haven't studied children's brains they are studying much younger people younger and younger people but she said if it was my kid no
1: yeah According to the New York Times, CTE, or Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy, causes several symptoms that negatively affect mental health in former NFL players, including memory loss, confusion, depression, and dementia. Most scientists who have studied the condition have concluded that it is caused by repeated blows to the head. Other studies have noted that CTE causes aggression and suicidal behavior as well. Players whose families have requested their brains be studied have cited uncharacteristic instances of rage and confusion preceding death.
0: One of the refrains you hear from all these families is, that is not my dad. Yeah. That's not my husband. That's not my brother. And DJ or Jonathan yeah. Hernandez said it over and over.
1: Who And Harry Hernandez mm-hmm. said, who is this person? This is not Aaron. Even when he was a kid playing video games with Jonathan. Flipping and out. He would have bouts of rage. And we talked in the first episode how... He started playing tackle football at age eight, but also he had injuries that weren't even football related. Getting hit with a hammer, yes, flying off of the handle in the garage, skating accidentally into a wall so hard, first into a wall, broke out two permanent front teeth. Yes, and getting hit in the hammer was so hard, blood came out of his ears and nose. Mm -hmm. Ones to wonder. If it was already The ball was already rolling With all of this And also
0: Dr. Anne McKee Talks about younger Children's brains Are lighter weight And there's more brain fluid So I think it's Cerebrospinal fluid I'm not an expert in this But whatever the juice is In the head That holds the brain mm-hmm. She said it's like A coffee cup With water in it And your brain Is the ping pong ball And it floats around And if you don't wha- If you don't vigorously shake the coffee mug the ping pong ball is not going to hit the sides right mm-hmm. it just gently floats if you kind of gently move it around but she said that kids brains are so much smaller that if a smaller amount of force it's yeah. it's like a you know it's like a ball rolling around swirling the bottom of a toilet wow it just it just hits so much more so much more frequently it's like a
1: door stopper when yeah you pull Boing back y- a door y- stopper y- and y- just boilings back and forth for sure The average hit between two players on the field has
0: an average force on the player's head equivalent to what you would see if he has driven his car into a brick wall at 30 miles per hour.
1: According to the PBS frontline documentary League of Denial, the chronic hits to the head causes the brain tissue to break down and form lesions. One of the most affected areas of the brain is the superior frontal cortex, which, according to the New York Times, affects working memory, planning and abstract reasoning. Abstract reasoning, planning, like planning a murder. Yep. And also aggression, rage. All of these things he exhibited from a very early age. And they just kept escalating as he st- played football more and was suffering more head injuries and getting hit more and more. And they don't, they talk a lot about in everything I've read, while concussions are very dangerous and that can lead to this, it's more the repeated hitting, like, the linemen have where you're not getting knocked out cold, but you're constantly battering with someone, and your heads are, are hitting and stuff. All of those things over a, the duration of a long period of time that adds up to just fuck you up.
0: I had a, the opportunity to speak with Todd Anderton and Jeff Garlish, who are two comedians at Dallas Comedy House also former football players. Oh, I did not know that. And I was sitting around talking. I was talking about the show and talking about Aaron Hernandez. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, we used to stand in a circle. They didn't they didn't play together, but they said a common drill is for them to stand in a circle at practice and just run headlong into each other. He said that they would basically go, OK, 42 and 34. You're sit, standing across the circle from each other. Just run full speed at each other and bonk into each other. And with, helmets, like, yeah, with, with helmets? Yeah, helmet with helmets. And helmet to helmet. And, you know, you're not really getting a concussion, but are you just bonking your head yeah. over and over again? Yes. And, and
1: Dr. McKee says that, because uh, she said an average lineman could have that have that happen like 60 times in a game. Mm-hmm. And then you average out how many games they play over the course of their career. Mm-hmm.
0: If you play more than and I think Todd and Jeff just played in like high school and maybe college. But like they it's not like they're professional football players, but they're like, no. And even in peewee football, sometimes yeah. you ta- I mean, you're bonking into each yes. other. It's not. And if, hit slam to the ground. And just that
1: over the course of decades. That's wild. CTE expert, Dr. Ann McKee. Told the New York Times. We're finding over and over
0: that it's the duration of the exposure to football that gives you a higher risk for CTE.
1: Aaron began playing tackle football at a mere eight years old. He played his last NFL game at age 25, meaning at minimum he played 17 years of football. And especially
0: starting so young when the brain's still trying to develop and it's so lightweight.
1: Man. In November of 2017, Dr. McKee revealed her startling findings after having conducted extensive research on Aaron's brain. At 27 years old, Aaron had the worst case of CTE she had ever seen in someone that young. Prior to his brain, she had not seen that much damage in someone younger than 46. McKee, who has studied more than 330 football players that have died, according to the Globe, Said of Aaron's brain.
0: In every place that we looked, it was classic CTE.
1: Classic CTE includes symptoms of poor judgment, impulsivity, anger, paranoia, and suicidal thoughts. It's uh, the
0: slice of his brain is shown on the Netflix documentary. Yes. And there's a big hole in the middle where there should be brain mm-hmm. matter.
1: Yeah, they'll take slices of the brain and inject it with this dye and the a protein called tau that is shows up usually just in alzheimer's patients it will darken in the air the dye makes the brain darken in those areas and when you look at these football players brains that are suffering from this it's full it's i mean it looks like rotted cauliflower Mm -hmm. and then that's what they were living with you i mean the classic symptoms here every single one of those impulsivity somebody bumps into you and you flip out and kill them maybe Poor judgment yes anger paranoia he was constantly paranoid he was gonna That's get alexander killed. bradley's
0: whole job was to be like hey man calm down no yeah. one's following you they're not boston pd cops are not in a tallahassee strip club yeah following us yes
1: suicidal thoughts yeah i mean it all it if you had a checklist of how did we get here it just ticks all the boxes According to the Globe, some areas of Aaron's brains had become shrunken, while other areas had become alarmingly enlarged. Several areas also had microbleeds. In addition, a protein called tau, which is usually seen in Alzheimer's patients, was present. Dr. McKee said that on a scale of one to four, four being the worst, Aaron's case of CTE was a three.
0: And he was 27 years old. 27
1: years old. The first case of CTE to be seriously studied was Iron Mike Webster, a former beloved Pittsburgh Steeler who died alone and nearly penniless. In the waning years of his life, Iron Mike displayed signs of confusion, aggression, and memory loss. When a local lawyer discovered that NFL legend Iron Mike was living in his car, the attorney worked with the NFL to obtain a disability payment. Initially, the NFL rebuked the claims of Iron Mike's doctors that the repeated cushions he suffered in his years on the field caused his diminished mental capacity. But when doctors from the NFL confirmed the same in a written study, the NFL was forced to pay out. And this is covered in League of Denial
0: so well because – basically, Iron Mike was married. He had adult children. They interview his wife and his ex-wife and children because in the later years of his life, he would flip out and have these like blackout rage situations. Luckily, he wasn't violent against his family, but his wife said she came in one day and he had taken a butcher knife from the kitchen and just cut up a bunch of family photos and NFL photos and then was standing there with a knife. And she said, are you finished? And he said, I don't know. What do you mean? And she's like, you just literally cut up all of our family photos. And he's like, oh, Oh, I'm going to go to bed. I don't feel good. And then they showed an interview with him. And he seems like a person who, and he's fully sober, drinking a cup of coffee. He seems like someone who is shit face drunk. They're like, tell us about the NFL. He's like, it was, you know, um, whenever um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it was good. Um, I'm actually, I, I think I'm tired. Like the, it's insane to see this person who. From all accounts, I mean, he was a fully functioning adult, but he just, just rapidly declined. And his wife finally said, for my own safety and the safety of our kids, we have to get divorced. I can't have you around, you know. But back then, they didn't know it was yeah. dementia. She just thought maybe he's drunk. Maybe he's just has rage problems. She didn't know. And, you know, you can tell the, the sorrow in her voice yeah. now, knowing what they know. She's like, I just wish I would have known. And so he ends up living in his car. Their local newspaper does this story on him and this attorney. Goes and takes him to 10 different doctors. Every single doctor is like, oh... What was your job? Oh, you worked in the NFL? It's like boxers, punch drunk or whatever. They figure out you're a famous lineman. All of them in Pittsburgh know him. And then the NFL basically tells them to go fuck themselves until he says, okay, well, I'll have him. I'm happy to have him looked at by your doctors. And the NFL doctors look at him, determine the same, write it out in a report that later that report gets leaked to the New York Times. So that was the first written instance where the NFL was aware at least written instance, that the NFL was aware that this repeated head trauma caused this late stage, which they didn't know it was CT at the time, but they just knew that this guy was non-functional. Yeah. And at the time, the lawyer goes, I really didn't think that it was more than just him. I mean, I'm stupid for not thinking that. But he said at the time, my concern was only getting my client mm. his payout, which is fair. But now that I think about it, he's like, oh, well, this class action should could have gone like yeah. way
1: way earlier than it did. Heartbreaking to think you were once a celebrity football star making millions of dollars they loved him and you're you're resigned to living in your car this would
0: be like for people not in Dallas it doesn't matter but for me it would be like if we found out Emmett Smith was or Michael Irvin or somebody yeah. was like penniless and living in their car
1: people would freak out and like, oh, oh my oh, god the city would shut down yeah so it was is so sad a uh, uh- a profession you gave your heart and soul to that you did so much for. You gave your body and mind to. Yes. And then when the tables have turned and you need them most. That's what this lawyer like. They just give you a middle finger.
0: Yeah. He goes, this guy, everybody loved him. And all of a sudden they're like, Ew, he's like a homeless person. It's yeah. like, no, he's
1: he's a he's human. He's like this because of what he did for you to make you billions of dollars.
0: And he's a human being that needs to be cared yes. for,
1: especially at the the profession that maybe did this to him. Iron Mike died only a few years after securing his disability payments from the NFL. After passing, his body lied on a Pittsburgh autopsy table, where Nigerian-born medical examiner Dr. Bennett Amalu began his autopsy. Dr. Amalu's co-workers had been in awe of the NFL legend lying on the table, but Dr. Amalu was not a big football fan and treated this case just like any other. Dr. Amalu inspected Iron Mike's body head to toe and was disturbed at the damage he saw, Particularly on his forehead, Iron Mike's forehead tissue had become grafted to his skull bone, leaving his forehead virtually inverted from repeated hits to the front of his head. Doctor Amalu directed his assistant to preserve the brain for further study. His assistant initially refused, as the brain appeared outwardly normal, but Doctor Amalu's persistence. Would completely change medical understanding of the negative effects of repeated concussions on professional athletes. This forehead was very upsetting. That's it is very upsetting. You know,
0: like my when I'm scrunching my eyebrows, yeah. you know, it moves. It didn't move. Yeah, it just straight up. There's video and picture of him in his it's later like years. It's
1: like if someone had super glued the it's, inside of his skin. It's scar to tissue. His skull.
0: It's scar tissue. It's so it was and then that's what they interviewed dr malo in league of denial and he said i looked everyone was like it's a celebrity and he said you know it's a person i'm may fully inspect them and he said uh th- there's no way a forehead could look like that and there's not something going on inside yeah. he's like there's no chance that there's not something wrong with it, the brain." i mean
1: i'm no doctor and if i saw that i'd be like Oh, clearly this person is suffering some sort of brain damage. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because, you know, he's
0: from Nigeria and he said, I didn't really grow up with football or watching it. But to have an outsider go, oh, well, because, you know, people may look at him and go, oh, scar tissue. Yes, yeah, because he played football. It's probably why it looked like that. Right. And Dr. Malo is like,
1: yeah, but it also shouldn't look like that. Yeah. And also, if it does, if this, then what? Mm-hmm. Imagine what's going on behind all of this. Mm hmm. Behind that skull grafted the, damage to the skin. damage didn't stop there. Uh-uh. Everything was getting pushed back and hit. At 30 miles an hour. Yes, if not harder. Yeah. Dr. Amalu wrote his findings into a paper published in 2005. Rather than accept accountability, the NFL engaged in a campaign of disinformation that attempted to heavily downplay the link between concussions and the resultant CTE, according to the Union for Concerned Scientists, or UCS. Upon inspecting a second brain, Dr. Amalu published another paper, again insisting that chronic repeated hits to the head cause long-term injury to the brain, this time using another Pittsburgh Steeler as an example, Terry Long. The NFL instead called Dr. Amalu's findings not appropriate science and claimed, according to the UCS, that his work was purely speculative. Go. Thank you <laughs> this is just straight up denying science.
0: no, it is, and this is
1: a case where all
0: of the me- medical professionals on the NFL's payroll makes me just grip my teeth and it mm-hmm. makes the yikes emoji face where I'm like, oh, like you have an ethical obligation to follow science and not I don't know the person that pays you the most yeah. and to to dis- besmirch and discredit this scientist, this doctor who knows what the hell he's talking about. Is stomach turning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When Roger Goodell took over as league commissioner in 2007, rather than outright attack Dr. Amalu, he feigned concern by creating a concussion summit to study the effects of concussions on long-term brain health. The one man who the NFL failed to invite to the summit, Dr. Amalu himself. They had another scientist present his paper. That's. Because you could not present it. Yeah.
0: It's so fucked up. That's. It's awful. (laughs) It's awful. But I it was this new wish
1: he had just walked like straight up Busted open Kool-aid those style. double doors into that conference room. And just like, guess who's here? Yeah, guess who's here, motherfuckers! And had a mic. And then after he gave his speech, just dropped it and just walked off. But
0: Roger Goodell took a different tack than the previous commissioner, who basically just said, "No, no, no, it's not real." Roger Goodell's like, "Oh, we're also very concerned. Right. Our scientists are looking into it.
1: They all said it's fine. Our scientists that we pay lots of money to be our scientists that are completely unbiased." They
0: No, they'll just do what science says. It doesn't your brain's not hurt by getting whacked in the head a bunch of times. It's crazy to me
1: is how I mean, even if you are the most diehard football fan, coach, owner, player ever, I don't understand how anyone can rationally and logically say getting hit in the head a bunch is bad for your brain.
0: Yeah, there's, I think there's no denying it. So I, this is maybe a good segue. So my question is, knowing what we know now, you know that if you're going to play this, you're going to get hit in the head a, a bunch of times. As a player? Yes. Yeah. And, and the, the subsequent effect is going to be that you're going to get dementia real early or possibly Parkinson's Could, or, yep. or aggression, rage. You may commit suicide as unfortunately is pretty common. Should they still be allowed to do it? Like is it like it's? Should in, they still be allowed to play football? If you're, it's like assumption of the risk. Like you know that this is bad, you know, but we'll give you forty million dollars.
1: So are you saying should they be allowed to sue the league? No, afterwards they if can't they suffer things. Turns out they can't anymore. Right. We'll get to that. But
0: I'm saying now we know that this is bad for you. That's fine. I still want to play. I don't care. I still want to play. You know, because it's like, well, yeah. NFL is a blood sport. It's, you know, it feeds this human need to watch violence, which is true. Is it some sort of like sub what do you like a substitute kind of like the purge where they're like, oh, if we can, you know, commit crime one day a year, it'll be fine. It's like if we a can vicarious,
1: watch you're living vicariously yeah. through others yeah. and
0: you tie your own, you know, masculinity or power or testosterone or whatever to the performance mm-hmm. of people on the field. But knowing that and knowing why we like it, shit, I love football. Are you kidding me? I don't miss a Cowboys game. But knowing that, going in with their eyes wide open, I think it's shitty if the league said, oh, we don't have any responsibility. We don't think that there's any injuries. We don't know what's going on. I mean, in this case, we'll get to the lawsuit. I don't think they really, really took a lot of responsibility. But everybody's aware now. It's one of those where it's like, well, I smoked and I got lung cancer because the package said it didn't cause cancer. Well, it's like now, you know. Smoking causes lung cancer. Full stop. Rush Limbaugh can say that it didn't, but look what happened. It's not great. Like you, it's just something that you know, and you assume the risk. Is it is it fair for us to be like, well, we need to protect you from yourself, and nobody's allowed to play football now?
1: That's a good question. I think that what we know now, players that still want to play now, Malcolm Gladwell has said that he thinks the sport is trending to in about 10 years, it's going to be kind of similar to how boxing is. And that not really not a many people watch it anymore. No, that that the people that will be playing in it are lower income kids from, you know, socioeconomically uh, disadvantaged disadvantaged families and, and areas and stuff that are using it as a means to propel themselves into college or mm-hmm. you know money or provide for their families or whatever and you're going to see less and less um wealthier families allowing their kids to play and it's kind of kind of become what boxing kind of has in a way where it's just a way to kind of get off the streets get out of your neighborhood do something better for yourself which that makes me feel also It's like a, gross inside. Yeah, are you taking advantage then? Yeah.
0: Well, I talked, so Paris and I started talking about this, and he pointed out that sports is a true meritocracy, that if you apply for a job and you have a name that sounds a little bit different, what is it, like, You, if you have a, a name that doesn't sound white, there's, like, a six-week gap between whether or not you'll get called for a job. Mm. He was like, if you play sports, it's whoever can run the fastest runs the fastest. Whoever can catch the football or launch the football you're not going to get disadvantaged for where you're from or your background racial ethnicity background nationality that it's a true meritocracy but then that's the question is if the resultant is that you're severely grievously injured then are we maybe are we putting throwing money at the wrong thing like should yeah let Malcolm it doesn't Gladwell- fix it doesn't fix this, the dispar- the disparities in other areas, but at this point, it's it's a way
1: to it's a true meritocracy, yes. right? Well, Bla- Malcolm Gladwell posits that eventually, like rich white kids, aren't going to be playing football. Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, like Dr.
1: Ann McKee said, I would never let my kids play. Yeah, she's a Boston University neuroscientist. Sure. Yes, yeah. So while you. It may be that race doesn't – and I don't I don't know enough to speak on if race – I think race does still matter in, in everything, including oh, for the sure. NFL. But, yeah, if you run fast, you're going to be dr- – I mean, the Patriots are kind of known for taking these rough and tough kids and thinking that they can – they did the same with, with Hernandez, like people that come from like an unsavory background and everything and molding them into something else. So if you have a whole team of people that are from that – and the only way they can make money for their family is to do this thing that is that they know going in. There's a good chance I'm gonna end up killing myself because my brain's harmful.
0: gonna just be mush. Well, it's almost like the people that work on oil rigs. You know, you don't have to have you know you. There's engineers, but then there's also you just at the entry level of an oil rig worker, you're making six figures yeah. because. You could explode sure. or drown in the ocean, yeah. and so it's like hazard pay, and like, that is the
1: assumption of the risk they yeah. know going in
0: that that, and that's why they do it, and well, that's why you get paid that much yeah. more. It's like the hazard pay. So, but then the people that are taking those jobs are not the neuroscientist kids, right. You know, it's the people yeah. that have to take the jobs. Yeah, exactly. My dad didn't want to go out late at night and deliver newspapers or sure. get held up. You know, it's one of those where you're you do what you have to do to support your family. Absolutely. But then, are we all contributing to that? You know, by
1: and I think that's where. Where I have the conundrum is, do I think people, if they want to assume the risk and play football as an adult, should they have the right to do that? Sure. I don't think um, anything will change unless <laughs> people stop watching football and that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's a bil- It's the largest sports and in, in, it makes billions and billions of dollars in the U.S. And that's not going to change. E- but. My moral question to you is: As someone who watches it, are we assholes they're culpable for buying hundred-dollar tickets to go to these games and watch this happen? Oh,
0: Christy, they're not a hundred dollars. <laughs> Jerry Jones charges you so many
1: dollars—hundred, several hundred dollars for each ticket. So much, it's yeah, so much.
0: It's crazy. And then for a beverage it's thirty-eight. Yeah, it's wild. I to mean, park, it's a hundred and fifty. I'm mean, just not. It's not though. But, <laughs> but you can
1: easily spend. Five to seven hundred dollars going to a Cowboys for, game. Easily for two people. Easily. Yeah. So plus the jersey. And plus tons the hat. of people are doing that. Oh, I mean, yeah. that stadium is wild. It's it's incredible. It's gorgeous. It's it's beautiful. He didn't pay I mean, <laughs> there's a reason the ticket prices are that much, he's gotta pay for all that shit. Mm-hmm. But every Sunday it's sold out with people knowing that what can happen. Mm-hmm. And cheering when people get hit, when people's helmets get knocked off. I mean, yeah, the, the a hush will fall over the crowd if someone gets laid out and is unconscious. But the game go- keeps going right back up, right, right after he gets up. I mean, everyone cheers because he made it off the field and is carted off. Little, I mean, no one thinks he is completely out of his head right now. He's sitting on that truck being wheeled off this cart. He doesn't know where the hell he is, they talk what about day it is. In that
0: League of Denial um, Troy Aitman just being like, "What day is it? Where am I?" Yeah, and his manager going, "Oh no, this is bad." Yeah, (laughs) that you you don't. He's like, "You were just on the field. Did we win?" Uh, no. Okay. Hey, where am I? It's like, oh god, we just went over this conversation.
1: I mean, it's bad. And all (laughs) that's going on while people are nothing skipped a beat in the stadium, and everyone's still cheering and hoping. So, I mean, and I'm not judging anyone that likes football. No, I mean, I I watch football and I like football too. But I will say my Opinions on it have changed. And like I said to Tommy last night, I was like, I don't know if I can watch this in good faith anymore. Well,
0: it's funny because as we were researching this, I was simultaneously listening to Meb Kofleski's audiobooks. And he's the one that won the Boston Marathon right after the bombings. And he's an Olympic medalist and he's basically a professional marathon runner. And he talks about the physical toll it's taken on his body and injuries he's sustained in marathoning. And so it got me thinking, you know, the, the whole, every sport, the purpose of the sport is to achieve, you know, human greatness, physical greatness. It goes all the way back to the original marathon, the original Olympics, shot putting. I mean, any sport it contains a risk. If you play hockey, you're sure. this same shit that's happening to football players happens to hockey players. Yeah. They run into the sideboards. Basketball players, not so much with head injuries, but definitely orthoscopic injuries mm-hmm. and, and ballerinas. You know, Any sport. Any sport. Anything where running. You're,
1: you're, you're putting your body through mm-hmm. a, a, a vigorous routine, is, mm-hmm. you're going to have some sort of consequence. But
0: him talking about running and tearing a quad muscle, and I'm like, Yikes. you tore a muscle mm. in half Mm-mm. what are you doing but literally going okay i couldn't wait a, a friend of mine's dad was hit by a truck doing after he did an iron man and like seven months later was like back on the. he's back on it because he, that's that's the the it's like a compulsion to play sports to be athletic is i wish i had it i mean i love to run <laughs> but even i could like go without but i have a friend my friend ryan who's like won the marathon and is a professional runner i mean he like jody's like his wife said the only way i can wake him up is if i go hey honey like from a nap or early in the morning, hey, I'm going to go for a run. He's like, I'm awake. I'm ready. Let's go. Wow. Let's go. And there's people like Man, for I whom
1: never had that drive.
0: And he that's just who he is. So if you yeah. told him, hey, you couldn't run or somebody like who knows, maybe Aaron Hernandez grown up and going, yeah, you can't play football anymore. They'd go, oh, the hell I can't.
1: Right. I do. You think it's different with sports like running or something like that, where the damage you're doing to your body is kind of just neck down. Well, also, you're the only one that's going to suffer from that. True, you're not whacking into anybody else, and the the problems with CTE or bouts of rage. I mean, true. Family would he members? have killed all of these people had he not had all this damage to his brain? So I mean, tearing a quad muscle in half. I mean, my stomach just turned. Even <sighs> thinking about that. That sucks it's not going to cause you to anybody like, else. go out and 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 kill people mm-hmm. or or kill yourself or, or threaten anybody or yeah no.
0: so That's a good point, because then it's you're not questioning what is the negative effect it has on the individual players. You're like, what is the societal impact Mm -hmm. of football that if we are damaging these folks brains so much that they are killing themselves and leaving their families devastated or killing others or abusing their family members? Although I don't know, that like every single thing could be blamed on this. I mean, there's still personal responsibility. I mean,
1: Dr. McKee has even said, you know, there's. There hasn't been, like, a definitive correlation between, like, CTE and suicide. Yeah. But the numbers are kind of there. And there's no question that something has to be done. I mean, the NFL has has tightened up some rules. And now, you know, I you can't... Um, go at someone else with like your head down and Mm -hmm. stuff like that there was apparently still it still happens oh for sure i mean mean, it's never not gonna happen oh they still whack into each other
0: and even if someone you know if a tight end or a receiver is going to jump up to catch a pass the defensive player's job is to knock them down to the ground as hard as possible so even if they're not going helmet to helmet you're going guy to body helmet to ground yeah and your brain's still getting shook
1: up in there and speaking of helmets the in the boston globe article they have a timeline of, of pictures of all the different helmets throughout the years. There used to be
0: le- leather
1: hats. When they first started playing football, it was moleskin.
0: Yeah. It was that's, like a little leather cap. That's
1: like putting a a binder, a, you know, something you do bullet journaling in around your head and then yeah. going out and whacking into somebody. And Unf- then unreal. it became like, oh, you know, over the years, it would gradually a- increase a little bit. But even now, they say, while, you know, helmets are safer than they've ever been, at the same time, it kind of gives you this false sense of protection. Like, I can hit somebody a lot harder with this helmet it's than so I could safe. with just a leather helmet. So it's, you know, which is better? Yeah. I I mean, I guess the padding is better, but for sure, but more you, education you... and
0: understanding that this is not a sa- savior. This isn't going to save you from everything.
1: No. And you may not have... And I'm not by any means saying we should go back to leather helmets, Christ. But you might, if you're wearing a leather helmet, you're going to be probably Ooh. a little more, yeah, you're not going to just out of the way. It, ram into somebody with your head as much as if you've got on, you know, this this sturdy one that, that they wear now and everything. And back then when they had those types of helmets, like deaths on the field were not uncommon mm-hmm. because your spine would Yeah, snap. you just suffer, suffer spinal cord injuries and or shit. Or brain bleeds. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's bad.
0: Well, I mean, and there's a whole separate, I mean, it's separate from this. I could do a whole show on sports law. (laughs) Um, That'd be cool. um, But there's a whole thing about Bounty Gate where there were certain coaches, I believe it was the New Orleans Saints, but that said, hey, if you hit another opposing team person so hard that their helmet flies off will give you a bonus. Yes. If you hit them so hard that you knock them out and they're removed from the game will give you a bonus. I remember hearing about this, Uh, yeah. Bounty Gate is what it was called, but it was shut down, obviously. very illegal, but... But it was happening. But that... Even if it's not really a bounty that you're really not actually getting paid, would that not be somewhat of an impetus for you to say, well, even if I'm not going to get a bonus, if, you know, so-and-so is a really good uh, player, I'm going to knock his
1: ass so hard that he, I'm going to sack this quarterback so hard that he's out. Yeah, I mean, if money or no money, it's a feather in your cap. Yeah, and it's your job. Yeah.
0: You don't ever want to kill somebody, but... If you can get him out, man, he wouldn't be able to throw those passes. There's anymore. a lot of
1: testosterone on that field and everyone trying to be the best and, and prove themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of do what it takes. Uh, All
0: jacked up. Yes. Like, I cannot explain it. I will jump off the couch and cheer. Like, I love football that much. And it's, I can't explain it. I think it's my childhood. I think it's inherent. I don't know. I mean,
1: you're not alone. Most people do. You
0: just and I think there's something about the camaraderie and the
1: sport and like I'm wearing the Navy. There's a lot of good things about about football. Mm -hmm. And it it teaches. Yes, like um, sportsmanship, camaraderie, team team building, routine, discipline, um, stuff like that. All of those things are great. But at what cost? Good point. I mean, can you find those things in something that isn't going to make your brain look like rotted out cauliflower after you're dead and cause all all sorts of problems for all sorts of people? Well, although the NFL initially rejected the correlation between playing high contact football and the negative effects on the human brain, it made a surprising reversal after legal action against the league was taken. Facing a barrage of suits, the NFL reached a class action settlement with former players. Estimated at a $1 billion value, the settlement covers over 20,000 retired players over the next 65 years. According to the Chicago Tribune, doctors estimate that approximately 30% of those players will be diagnosed with some form of dementia or Alzheimer's disease in their lifetimes. Yeah, it's a staggering number. So this $1 billion value... They put
0: it in a bucket. What do you mean? It's like a fund. It's saved and then it'll get paid out. And
1: then every... Of the 20,000 retired players, they all have a a certain, that same amount. Do you get a slice? I think it's depending on
0: years of service, how long ago it was, and then the uh, effects that you, like the medical conditions you have. Because it's a CTE settlement. So the problem is you can't know if somebody is going to have dementia until they have it. And so they set aside all this money knowing that, a percentage, likely about 30 percent, possibly more, maybe less, will have it. So the money is saved in this fund. And then if you start showing signs of dementia or you need that type of care, then you would make a claim against the fund, I believe is how it works. Well,
1: and also CTE can't and be that's diagnosed future. until you've died.
0: Correct. And that's future looking. And then there's also part of the settlement that goes looks back to players who have already t- either are currently suffering or have already died.
1: Wow. And so I guess if they've already died, then their family gets the money? Their family would do Oh, well, let's let's see. (laughs) Good question, Christy. While the payout seems generous on its face, many legal experts have pointed to the fact that a settlement will negate the need for a trial, meaning the NFL will not be forced to reveal what, if anything, it knew over the years about the depth of harm that repeated hits to the head had on the players over time i mean can you imagine it's going to front of a jury and they found out that as
0: early as like the 80s or the 70s that they knew and that did nothing i mean the punitive damages alone would bankrupt the nfl so that's why they said no no no, we'll give you we'll give you guys money how's a billion dollars sound billion dollars sound good we'll pay you a billion dollars
1: and Please. When a billion dollars is nothing and they're a billion like a meanwhile, meanwhile we're going to shred all these documents yeah. that show that we knew i mean it was smart on their part oh for sure Despite the settlement, many of the families of the fallen and the NFL players themselves were shocked to find they would receive just pennies on the dollar of the enormous settlement amount. Once the amounts were calculated, the court held back, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars, with payments being redirected to insurance companies who covered the players' care, lawyers, credit card companies, and other entities claiming payment in lieu of the players'. USA Today interviewed the family of Ralph Goldston, a former Philadelphia Eagle, whose initial $160,000 settlement was reduced to negative $740. His horrified family initially thought it was a mistake until the court confirmed the figure.
0: Yeah, so basically he had to spend, you know, however much time in hospitals and and care homes and he receives $160,000, but then the care homes and credit card companies and whoever – Come after the estate and say, well, no, no, no. Well, we gave you care and then you said you died with no money. But now you have money. So we're going to need some of that money.
1: We're into where he owes $740 yeah. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's how, like I said, it seems generous. Sure. A billion dollars seems like a lot. Oh, bo- that's a number that uh, Im- everyone immediately gets tingly when they hear like, that number.
0: A million dollars isn't a lot of money these days. One billion yes, Exactly. Um, But when it comes down to the n- number of players covered and the exorbitant cost of caring for someone with dementia, because a lot of times one of the main issues of people, and that's why you see so many memory care facilities, is that someone with dementia is physically able bodied. Mm-hmm. So they're not needing, you know, they and they're able to live, especially in a, in a case of an NFL player, for a long time. If you start seeing really detrimental signs at 50 and the rest of you is like pretty OK. What are you going to live 20 years in a uh, care facility, a memory care facility? Those things are thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars a month. So 160 G's is going to cover you for, oh, I don't know, two years, yeah. maybe three, maybe depending on if you live in a more rural area. So it seems like a lot of money on the face. But when it comes down to the actual calculation, it's nothing. I guess it's better than zero dollars. Uh, that's the kind of the problem with the class action lawsuit is it locks you into the terms of a settlement versus yeah. saying, I'm going to sue them on my own and say, my actual damages for this guy, obviously it was $160,740 or more, was my actual damages, but because you opt into the class action, you lose the expense of litigating it on your own but you also lose the opportunity to prove your actual damages and say this is how much i was damaged and get that and go after that payment
1: and the nfl knows all of that (laughs) they're very good lawyers and again like how do you sleep at night? <laughs> I mean, at at the end of the day, you're
0: there to protect your client's interests. Oh, I don't mean the lawyers. Oh no, the I NFL mean themselves. the NFL
1: themselves. Like, yeah. they know that like know. if we do this, then we're covering our asses because nobody can come by. Even though we know that there's going to be chances where this is like the sky. He's just out money. Mm-hmm. Nothing that they did really made him any money. His family didn't get anything from it. Mm-mm. And
0: even if you don't. Uh, Even if you don't end up with Alzheimer's or dementia or something from CTE related, the chances of you going broke after retirement is astronomical if you watch that 30 for 30. So should there be a pension for these players? Yeah. Where instead of, yeah, we're going to give you whatever, $50 million. Well, really, we're we're giving you $50 million. If you only get 25 now and 25 is going to go in a pension and you get it for the rest of your life. That's a good point. Like a lottery payoff. Yeah. Or like,
1: uh, like government jobs.
0: Yes. I mean, like. Or you get, you know, if you win $10 million in the
1: lottery, they'll give you $25,000 a month every month for the rest of your life. Yeah. In 2017, Aaron's fiance, Shiana Jenkins, pursued claims on behalf of their daughter, Aviel, for damages she sustained related to her dad's CTE. She sued for loss of consortium, a legal cause of action where a person has lost the enjoyment and companionship of a loved one. Her attorneys argued that the NFL is responsible for the damages she has because of his CTE, as quoted in the Chicago Tribune. Players and their families had the option to opt out of the league settlement in 2014 and pursue claims on their own. Because Aaron didn't pursue an opt out at that time, he was then, and his family is now, subject to the settlement terms of the NFL lawsuit. A judge in 2019 ruled that Aaron was effectively retired at the time of the settlement, as he had been let go from his Patriots contract at the time of his arrest for Oden Lloyd's murder in 2013. As an effectively retired NFL player at the time of the settlement in 2014, Aaron was required to affirmatively opt out of the terms of the settlement and maintain his right to sue the NFL separately for any CTE-related injuries. Because he didn't, the federal court officially dismissed Aviel's case in February of 2019. An attorney for the family mentioned plans to possibly appeal. Yeah, they pursued this for a uh, couple years trying
0: different federal court, state court and stuff to try to sue the NFL and Riddell, the makers of the helmet, to on yeah. uh, charges that they didn't they they were aware that it was dangerous and they didn't provide proper training or they didn't provide proper equipment or whatever and caused a CT which caused him to die.
1: That's very sad for her. Absolutely. I mean, she was 4, I believe, 4 mm-hmm. or 5 when he took his own life, mm-hmm. and if you want to say loss of concern, I mean that's pretty much her whole life that she's without her dad.
0: Mm-hmm. That she does now doesn't get the care and love of a father. So, and especially because was he retired at the time? Their argument was that he that, but for him committing suicide, he would have appealed the Odin Lloyd conviction, gotten off, and then would have been able to play again. Which I don't know if that was true. Mm. And that at no time did he ever have an intent to be retired, that at all times he intended, he was based, their argument was like, oh, he's more like a free agent. He was intending to, he was a current player and like a free agent intending to return. But the court said, there's no way that that's too. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's like it's too tangential. Like you can't yeah, say. it's all speculation. It's speculative, yeah. If only he could... Get, first of all, he would get acquitted. Then he would get out. Yeah. Then he would be good enough. Then he would play again. It's like, well, no, he was convicted. But or as none of it that was. could have happened. Yeah. So
1: it doesn't matter. As it
0: stood, he was kicked off the team, released from his contract, in jail for life.
1: Could they... I guess not because they didn't opt out of that, but could they sue saying he would not have been let go had it not been for the CTE and therefore ipso facto one caused the other and like they the CTE were- caused the violent behavior which caused him to get fired yes. which caused
0: the loss of his $40 yes. million I think the way the terms of the settlement are is that it's related to any monetary damages stemming from a CTE stemming from CTE hmm but should the victim's family sue the NFL
1: Oh, that's that's a good point.
0: But again, you're assuming the risk. You're getting hit in the head. You knew it's an it's an inherently dangerous
1: activity. But Odin Lloyd's mother had nothing to do with Aaron Hernandez assuming the risk. Are you saying Ursula Ward should sue the NFL because her son may not have been killed had it not been for Aaron not, suffering CTE. I'm not saying it would be a good lawsuit. I'm just saying you could. You could. Yeah. I don't I mean you can sue anybody for anything. It's just whether or not sure. you'll win.
0: But I think they the NFL would argue, you know, it's too uh that Aaron knew what he was doing. Like you they knew what they were doing. Any football player knows what they're doing when they go out on the field.
1: So therefore they're not liable for him getting the CTE having CTE as a result, yeah. which led possibly led to murder. Possibly.
0: Also, there've been cases where murderers brains have been inspected and it's perfectly fine. Sure. And it's completely a choice. Yeah, there's
1: again, there's no there. And I, I may have misspoke earlier about the suicide um, correlating with the CTE. There's no correlation between CTE and murder. In fact, Aaron Hernandez and one other NFL player that have had CTE have actually committed murder. Mm-hmm. So there's way more people that didn't.
0: And more people that either died of natural causes or did commit suicide. Sure.
1: Yes. Shiana also filed an action for declaratory judgment while the three wrongful death lawsuits were pending in order to protect at least $500,000 from the sale of the North Attleboro home on behalf of Aviel. Massachusetts law allows a homestead exemption for assets subject to recovery. Meaning, the families of Safira Furtado, Daniel De Abreu, and Odin Lloyd would be entitled to recover any of Aaron's other assets, except for the five hundred thousand dollars set aside for Aviel. All three suits were settled privately.
0: And Leontire, the lawyer who also represented Aaron's estate in defense of these lawsuits, said that the he he said they've all been settled privately, and none of the funds came out of the estate. Which he never, he didn't extrapolate or provide further detail on that. So the only thing I can think of is there was maybe an insurance policy. Sometimes Mm -hmm. if you have an umbrella policy on your homeowner's insurance, that can kick in. So, but he had no money when he died, really. The the house, they said, was in full disrepair. Technically, it was worth a million dollars because of the structure and the surrounding area. But the property taxes hadn't been paid in forever. And
1: they said there was mold. The pipes had busted. It was just completely dilapidated. Mm -hmm. Plus, he'd spent a ton in lawyer fees. He didn't have anything. No, he had nothing. that is interesting to think where where that money came from. So she was just trying to save under the law as much as she could for her kid. I get it. Yeah, no, there's nothing. Yeah. While Aaron may have thought that by killing himself, he would be financially taking care of his fiancée and daughter, he was apparently unaware that laws can be overturned. Aaron assumed his record would be cleared under the Massachusetts Doctrine of abatement ab initio. Courts are usually bound to follow the decisions that came before them because of a legal doctrine called stare decisis. That means courts decide current cases based on previous ones. In Aaron's case, the trial court judge vacated his conviction that was on appeal after his death because for years in Massachusetts, that was the law. But the prosecutors in this case were not happy with the result. They wanted Oden Lloyd's family to have the dignity and closure of the guilty verdict that the jury had handed down. The prosecutors filed an application to appeal directly to the highest court in Massachusetts, the Supreme Judicial Court, SJC skipping the Massachusetts appeals court and attempting to avoid any delays. The application was granted, and after reading the briefs and considering oral arguments, the SJC held in a unanimous decision that the rule of abatement ab initio was outdated in Massachusetts and that courts in Massachusetts would no longer apply the principle to future cases. All past cases were to remain as they were with one exception, Aaron Hernandez, in its unanimous opinion the SJC held that Aaron's conviction would be reinstated, stating that the court saw no
0: reason why the Commonwealth should not have the benefit of the new rule, especially considering it was the party who successfully urged the court to abandon and replace that doctrine. So, yes, this is a case where uh, courts are not bound, but it is uh, common and the usual practice. It's what stare decisis means. It's keeping the law that came before you it's good for everybody because you kind of know what the common law is you know in the US we have statutes and then the statutes are interpreted by courts and so the court's interpretation is not a free for all so they look and say hey have we looked at this case have we looked at the statute before and if so what did we say and in this case they had looked at the statute before and said yeah well we always done that so we should keep doing it well in this case I think it was so egregious and it was almost as if although there's not complete proof but almost as if the defendant took his own life in order to take it advantage of this statute right and the court said this is not what it was meant to do yeah it's really really old and it's a loophole and why would we upset the verdict a jury sat in judgment of him they heard all the evidence they came to the conclusion that he was guilty why who are we as the the court to say well who, who knows what they were talking about he's passed away now we should just you know let's just shut it down they're like no we will respect the decision of the jury and respect the family who wants closure and say no we're not going to it's not a magic go away button if you want to take your own life
1: good for them mhm
0: the the uh, opinion it, it's you know it's written initially you're like okay well they're gonna obviously overturn you know overturn but they're gonna abolish this concept of abatement ab initio and then it gets to the bottom and it's like going forward all future cases also one past case aaron hernandez (laughs) and they basically say the commonwealth spent the time and the resources and the effort to try the case and then also pursue this all the way to the sjc we're gonna respect that and say normally we don't do things retroactively but screw you
1: yeah well aaron's case was then marked as convicted but appealed though neither affirmed nor reversed. Although the reinstatement of a guilty verdict could not bring back Odin Lloyd, his mother wept as she spoke to reporters about the decision. From now on in Massachusetts, when a defendant convicted of a crime kills himself or dies in jail while his appeal is pending, his conviction will stand, providing some semblance of justice to the victims and their families, even if it is the death of the perpetrator. The tragic tale of Aaron Hernandez is one that comes with many layers from his abusive childhood, to his struggles with his sexual identity, to the death of his father during Aaron's formative years. It is hard to say if these factors led to Aaron choosing a path filled with unsavory characters, drugs, and violence, or if something else was at play, a brain disease that had been forming since elementary school, a result of his lengthy football career. Sports neurologist Dr. Vernon Williams, who reviewed slides of Aaron's brain, told The Globe that scientists
0: don't have a satisfying method of saying if a certain behavior stemmed from CTE or was partially from CTE and partially from something else. Aberrant behavior could be present because of a number of potential factors, one of them being CTE. I don't know a way of teasing that out in retrospect after death.
1: Still, there are those that believe Aaron's CTE was definitively the cause for his violent behavior and, in turn, should not have been found guilty for his actions. In a New York Times op-ed piece, two law professors expressed a controversial opinion when they said,
0: We now know that there was a substantial evidence that Mr. Hernandez should not have been convicted of first-degree murder. Given the conclusive diagnosis of stage 3 CTE, it is likely that a lifetime of playing football, not Mr. Hernandez's will, was to blame. Thoughts? So... Usually when someone says that they're not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, it's because at the time of the incident, you didn't understand right from wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we saw in the White Rock Machete murders where he was severely mentally ill, severely schizophrenic, commits a heinous crime. Picks up the phone and calls 911 and says, I have just committed a murder. Yeah. So in that case, that is a person who is suffering from a mental illness, but is fully aware of the bad stuff that they did. And usually when someone is suffering from something like either CTE or schizophrenia or some other mental health issue that would create uh, problems with like reality or reasoning, maybe somebody has a super low IQ and doesn't understand the you know right from wrong one way that you can suss that out, aside from just interviewing them and being like, do you know what happened? And if someone goes, oh, well, you know, I was uh, chopping wood in the park and all of a sudden the cops arrested me. And they're like, that wasn't wood. That was a person. Then that may be somebody who's not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Or they say, oh, that wasn't a person. That was a a demon goat. And I was on behalf of Jesus saving the world. But in this case, I don't think that he... His mental disease, which he had, I mean, clearly he had that much that much tau in his brain, enough that he almost practically had Alzheimer's. I I don't think that his behavior and actions indicated that he was unable to suss out the uh, appropriateness of his behavior. I don't think he displayed anything that would make me say, oh, well, he he acted like an idiot. He rolls into his house with a gun in his hand on camera texts his fiance to hide the gun what that tells me is you're not playing with a full deck insofar as why would you text somebody to cover up evidence of a crime why would you turn a rental car in with shell casings in it these are bad judgments and the bad judgment definitely is part of cte but i think that the uh, trying to hide the gun safe and smashing up the phone Hiring the cleaning crew smashing up the entertain the recording system indicates an awareness of murder being wrong and the thing that you did was wrong and it's not like he said I don't know what happened. I was asleep and I woke up and you know I was standing outside my house with a gun in my hand and I don't know what happened in between and he went into some blind rage and killed someone. He premeditatedly texted two friends. They came and got him. They went and drove were these shitty poor decisions. Yeah with shitty poor decisions part of his character so is that part of everybody's character that commits a crime aside from you know like people that are btk style serial killers who are like "Ooh, i'm gonna go you know that planet forever this isn't you know the people that impulsively shoot off a gun in a dave and buster's parking lot which recently happened that you're just you're not not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect just by
1: virtue of not being the brightest that's a good point. To play devil's advocate, do you think that the only, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, clause with the mental, not being able to, not guilty by reason of mental health or mental defect should be determining right from wrong at the time of the crime? I mean, that's what it is. Right. I'm
0: saying I think if you're if you're if you want to extrapolate it and say, but for his repeated hits to the head and his football playing, would he have had this violent action and behavior? I don't think so. I think yeah. no. I think he probably if he was not raised in this kind of culture of violence and then repeatedly hit in the head, which then causes these reasoning and impulsivity control issues. Oh, I don't think you would have killed him. But the question, that is the question of what is the proximate or actual cause of his killing someone. That's a wrongful death lawsuit. That's a civil question. But if you're asking what is someone's legal criminal capability on first degree murder, I, he, I don't think he was mentally incapacitated such that he didn't know he's committed first degree murder. You know, if for Zafiro Furtado and Daniel De Abreu, if they're driving around in a car and he gets all juiced up and wants to shoot at somebody, could that be maybe like voluntary manslaughter or heat of passion? Or I don't I'd have to look into what Massachusetts law like the definitions of those are or something less than like premeditated first degree murder because you're all jacked up in a club and you just shoot somebody. But in that case, they went out, they got in their car, they drove up, they saw the people. He tells Alexander Bradley follow that car and then he says hey what's up fools and he shoots out the side like at no point was this like a like i said did he like black out and just do a thing in both cases he was reasoning poorly and it's the the judicial system says you're still responsible for yourself even if you're low iq you're a low iq person and i I don't know that he was low iq but at least he was making poor judgments that to me would indicate that he was maybe not functioning or reasoning at an uh, average level.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying I disagree. I was just no, I like that question. No, and I
0: think could the family say, of course, it's, I wonder so that
1: would be more of a civil thing. Yeah, if you said sue on
0: if they said you, and again, then would a jury say, well, you know, he took this on himself. You should really sue his family, Aaron's family, probably. But I mean, it's a good question. Do we want to hold the NFL responsible for creating, by virtue of this? You know, dangerous sport by virtue, by saying, you know, these, this person's going to have lifelong negative effects, including violence against others. And if so, is that their problem? Is that their fault? Yeah. Because they facilitated this action that created a disease that created this action. So then you, that's the other question in a civil case is do you have the direct cause of something and the approximate cause? So, like, the direct cause is like Aaron Hernandez pulled a trigger and killed a person. That's the direct cause of, odin death right mm-hmm. but then the proximate cause was his cte which was then caused by the nfl and it always depends on what state you're in but when you're analyzing a civil action like this you say is the proximate cause like too far removed from the actual action so it's like yeah the cte was the reason why he pulled the trigger so that's a proximate cause but then the cte was caused by the nfl was it well i mean it was but yeah. Is that then too many steps far removed mm-hmm. from the actual killing for the NFL to be held liable? Like, as a society, where do we want to cut off the if you give a mouse a cookie?
1: Mm. One of Ella's favorites. It's a great book. It is. If you give a pig a pancake, it's a good one, too. Oh, I bet you guys
0: like that. We, you ever give your pig a pancake?
1: She has never had a pancake. I don't
0: know that she'd like that. She's I, partial she to what? Will. Carrots?
1: She, she'll, she'll eat anything. She'll, oh, Jesus. Uh, not
0: Celery. Same. <laughs> Petal and I have a lot of things in common. <laughs> and laying not on leaks. the couch. Just discovered
1: yesterday does not like leeks.
0: Leeks? I don't know if I like leeks, but I hate celery and I love grunting and
1: laying on the couch. So <laughs> you pretty... and Petal have a lot in common. So much in common. I speaking of pancakes had some griddle toast at Buzz Brews the other day oh, was that it good? I am still thinking about. God <laughs> damn. Dreaming it about it. Oh my god. We gotta make a list of all our eaten places. It was you know when you Read something on a menu and you're like, oh, that's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Like you can envision what it's going to be like. You're like, and then you taste it and you're like, this hit the exact spot I <laughs> thought it was going to hit. Yes. Tommy was like, can you leave me some? I was like, back away. <laughs> it was so good. Watch your fingers. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing to think about. Who's where do you draw the line? Like you said, of who's accountable? Who are we going to go after? Were these men or adults, they I I don't know if if he knew what he was getting into. So much stuff has come out since then. Yeah. Dr. McKee even said the donation of his brain was probably the most important one she's ever studied in terms of like what was learned and and everything. And the advancement of the disease at his age. Yeah. People that are currently in the league or have played, I don't think have the same information or didn't have the same information getting into it as people that might be going into it now. But again, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it is, I don't, and I don't have a, an answer. It's just interesting to think and, and fascinating. Like, yeah, they know what they're getting into. Should they should be able to do it. But should they, since that could in turn impact the lives of others? It's
0: a good question. You know, it's at what, what point, is the nation's uh, hankering for fun sport? Yeah, worth Odin Lloyd's life yeah. or Sophia Fatare and Daniel Day of Brady's life?
1: It's it's a conundrum. Well, and it's something- I don't have an answer, and I'll probably watch a football game again. I'm not, like I said, I'm I don't. Please don't DM me that I'm an NFL hater because I I'm not. I I mean, watch football all you want. It's just. It's, uh, for me personally, Going to, I'm looking at it a bit differently.
0: Well, and I think, I hope, for all of the moral quandaries and conundrums we investigate, uh, and you guys are hearing it live. Like, we're just thinking these things out loud yeah. right now. Uh, it, I mean, A, it's changed my life since doing the show. I've, like, changed my opinion on the death penalty. Yeah. And you, I don't think that you can you have to have a black or white thought about stuff. You know, I think we live in a society where someone wants to read an article and be like, this is dumb or my opinion is this. And it's like, let's not everything can be go period full stop. That's the answer. It's like, no, not always. Sometimes life is paragraphs and paragraphs long and it's not period full stop. Mm -hmm. That's the answer. And so, you know, we look at this dude's life and, was he a, a horrible monster forever? His actions certainly say so, but his kid and his wife or fiance and his brother would say no, that yeah. they, they lost a person to a disease that they didn't understand and couldn't explain at the time. Yeah, And, you know, I guess everybody's experiences different things in different ways, but I guess all I'm saying is you don't have to say, it's not either the NFL is a monster blood sport that should be stopped or they should be allowed to do whatever they want. It's like, well, we you just have to, reconcile the morality for yourself Mm -hmm. understanding that for the the greatest human achievement for some people is playing in the super bowl and little cute sweet who i'm obsessed with patrick mahomes the kansas city chiefs quarterback that's his like lifelong dream and he's 24 and he gets to be the mvp of the super bowl and he's gonna have a long career hopefully and hopefully doesn't have any mental or you know ct dementia issues or whatever down the line but I think, you know, you, you look at it and just go, well, you know, hopefully you, you know what you're getting yourself into and we'll be in the stands cheering probably <laughs> as, a, as a
1: country. Well, since 2005, 20 NFL players ranging in age from 25 to 66 have died by suicide. 16 of them were diagnosed with CTE, according to The Globe. Currently, CTE can only be diagnosed posthumously, making it difficult to treat those suffering from the disease. Scientists, however, are working hard to develop a way to test for CTE during life. It is still unclear what the tipping point is for CTE and why some players may be afflicted and others not. While scientists continue to work on answering these questions and even finding a possible cure, many are looking to the NFL to do their part in both acknowledging and fighting the disease. As Dr. McKee told the New York Times,
0: It's no longer debatable whether there's a problem in football. There is a problem.
1: Can't argue with her. No. She's looked... so the, so 330 of, brains. I don't think I'm going to argue with her.
0: Part of the NFL settlement was that Boston University CTE Center, A, they got a million dollars from the NFL, and she said, uh, this isn't going to change my research. <laughs> Thank you for the money, but sure. this isn't going to change my... Uh, but she has now become the preferred brain bank for all NFL players. Mm-hmm. So she at least gets, you know, d- as many as possible, hopefully, to continue to study how many years they played, what position they played, and then the effects that it's had. But that would be phenomenal if there was a way to test for early signs of CTE somehow and say, hey, we're we're benching you. You're done.
1: They said they're trying to see if there could be blood screenings or or scans or something. to Because you hear after the symptoms start to develop, the families after their loved one dies will say they changed. They were exhibiting anger and I didn't even know who they were. So there were signs. Mm -hmm. But at that point, what is there to do? Yeah, if you, but yeah, if you, and again, it's like you could have someone that gets hit a lot, and maybe they don't have that many problems, and then someone else does. So, what makes you more susceptible to it? There's, they don't really have any of those answers, and because it can only be diagnosed once the person dies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole other ball game. That's even worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a way they could. Design helmets to really minimize the brain impact, like with gel or something, like a Dr. Souls insert.
1: You know what I mean? I think they've got stuff in them. Well, I mean, right now it's foam. Yeah. And don't they put like air in them? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there are all sorts of.
0: But 30, a car hitting a wall at 30 miles an hour, that's the amount of impact. I don't know that a helmet would even help. Yeah. So that's just me not wanting to stop watching football. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just trying to think of a way I could keep watching it.
1: Well, that was our four-part series on Aaron Hernandez. I think it's been a
0: long you, ride. You know what do we think? I think you know who said it's been 6 hours <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we've summed up pretty much what we think about all of it. I think you just recently said it best with not everything's black and white. Mm-hmm. And we we say it a lot like things don't Things can be mutually exclusive. You can they feel have compassion for someone while still recognizing they did terrible things. You can enjoy watching football while also recognizing terrible things can come from it. So it's where you draw your own personal line. And, yeah, I think and that's there's... that's different for everybody, whatever you're comfortable with.
0: Exactly. There's no one-stop-shop-one-size-fits-all fit answer. Right. If there was, the podcast would be a lot shorter. <laughs> Well, we have a couple live shows. I'm so excited. Coming Dallas. Up. Dallas Comedy Festival is the last week of March And we've got two shows together We're performing with our improv troupe The Cult on March 27th at 9pm And then we're doing a live show Sinisterhood live podcast recording Will be Saturday, March 28th at 6pm Tickets will go on sale The last week of February And our Patreon patrons in the Ruling the Airwaves tier Will get first crack at the tickets On the Patreon
1: page There will be a meet and greet after the show as well It's going to be a lot of fun
0: And we will be doing a limited run of Sinisterhood tumblers. I don't know if you guys saw them. In October, we did uh, some laser engraved cups that we signed at the live show. So if you can get to the live show, you can pick up your cup there and we will sign it. And if you can't, then there will be an option for you to get one signed and sent to you. And we will put up that link in the next week or so.
1: Sinisterhood will always remain free. But if you wish to donate to our Patreon to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. You'll get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus mini
0: Plus, we do weekly mixed bags where we each bring three things we're stoked about and share it with the other. It could be a book, a movie, or some delicious pretzels.
1: Or an um, interesting pet. I'm so excited. I'll be discussing on the one we're recording after this. I'm about to hit
0: stop on this and start the mix bag. So you can (laughs) check that out if you go to Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. Make sure you stick around after our sign off to hear your special Patreon shout outs. Also, so many of you guys have been tagging us in your awesome Sinisterhood shirts. Keep those pictures coming. We have seen several of you wearing our new baseball tee with our adorable picture done by Jedi Pixie on Instagram. If you have not seen that or gotten one for yourself, you can head to Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner to get totes, mugs, clothes for your kiddos, and all kinds of sweet, sweet swag.
1: You know what would make our live show even more fun? If everybody's wearing a if I saw our faces on a bunch of people's titties. <laughs> I would love that so much. <laughs> or non-titties, chest, man. I don't, I don't. Whatever you, whatever you're working with. I just hope we see our what, faces on it. Whatever's in the front, I'm down. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> wear, wear that adorable I, I just love that cartoon so, so much. Cute. I'm obsessed with it. We
1: also have another shirt in the works that um, we should Good. be getting our samples any day now. Once we test the samples, they're going yeah, up we'll live. Taking for a test drive, then we will show you guys, and I think everyone is going to lose their shit over it. And
0: Everyone has asked for it, and we're so excited, Very about, excited about the design.
1: The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Just found out iTunes is no longer called iTunes. It's now Apple Podcasts. <laughs> or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure.
0: You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterhoodPod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood.
1: Christy, where are you at on the computer? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather, I do a lot
0: of those uh, Instagram selfie quizzes at Heather versus the world and tweet at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Sarah Solomon. Olivia DiFalco. Lizzie Spites. Allie Hamner. Karenina El-Sudadar
1: stephanie rodriguez michaela d steph rudolph deanna roman janae colton donna cynthia caruso lauren mccloskey crystal hope madison Madison, we
0: love you responsible for a hilarious video we're gonna post on patreon yes 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 hannah
1: emma klempt shelly nakabayashi Kay crawford courtney johnson amy pulliam Thank you guys so much. We could not do this without you. We love you and we hope we said your name right. Please forgive us if we didn't. And don't forget if you're in the Rolling the Airwaves here to join the special Facebook page. Yes. Thanks so much. Keep it creepy.
0: Ha <laughs> ha. Sinister food.